Welcome to a new episode of In Her Lens. My name is Nadine Rumer, and in this series, I chat with today's women in film about their journeys and experiences. Jasmijn Schofer is a Dutch-Chinese-American filmmaker based in Amsterdam. Jasmijn creates documentaries, if they must be labeled, and she often refers to her work as visual poetry. Jasmijn was raised in The Hague, and in 2015 she graduated from the Nederlandse Film Academie with her award-winning film Tariqat, a short doc about Sufism, a practice of Islam. In this episode, we talk about connecting to the essence of a story and the translation of feeling to work, the creation of Tariqat and building trust with her subjects, as well as the impact of silence. And we discuss her upcoming film, Death of Darkness, about the installation of electricity in a Samburu community in the north of Kenya. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Here is Jasmine Schofer on In Her Lens. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to Inner Lens. So happy to have you here. We just watched your new film, Death of Darkness, which isn't out yet, but we're going to talk about it later. Uh, but we're going to start just true filmmaker fashion. What is the most recent film that you've seen? Uh, oh, that was in the cinema, Tenant. Aha, uh-huh. I just saw that as well. Let's talk about it. Yeah, I, I still have to wake up. Yeah, of course. Also, we're doing this. In, we're doing this in English, and Yosman and I both speak Dutch. But for the podcast, yeah, we, we are just, doing we it. Just came so we're Dutch. warming up into the English. But don't worry. Um, I I I really thought the the concept was super interesting about the the intention inversion and all these things that time travel uh, and then this moment in time where things kind of were two teams and two squats do the opposite thing yeah. in intention and in uh, in action and then like they change time or actually they save the world yeah they inver- it's it's very i mean i'm still trying to process that whole concept it just could have been way more simple and that concept could have been maybe feel that concept more and and get rid of a lot of those little plot things like the art and the fake the fake art piece this very um heady you have to really it's interesting because it's so much action but the little scenes in between where they are talking and they are discussing are so vital to understanding the whole film that if you miss it or if you're not paying attention or you're watching the characters or you're watching the actors act that you just miss actually what's what the story is about because that whole manipulation of her and then she finds out if you don't realize that that's what they're doing it makes no sense in the first mm-hmm. like half of the film the budget is insane mm-hmm. but yeah it was fairly complicated okay so i just want to start talking about you and you know where you began and let's for us also to get grounded with the kind of person that you are and then maybe the type of person that you are that leads into the type of artist that you are so tell us a bit about your childhood where you grew up about your parents siblings just a bit about about you. Um, so I'm Chinese American uh, and Dutch born. Um, my father's Dutch. My mother's Chinese American. Studied uh, film after I did some um, pre-education in arts. So I do have an art background, and that was my first encounter with videoing, like doing weird arty arty videos and performances in my room by myself on a webcam, like that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> 
I remember also the dance film being the first film I was really intrigued by. Like there were all the things I saw on television. Well, there are some exceptions because Pepero once showed stuff of young Jan Swankmeyer, and I was truly fascinated by that. So that's already also more obscure cinema. I'm I'm super grateful for Holland to have shown that stuff on television back in the days. Mm-hmm. I have a younger sister, um, Amber, seven years younger than I am, um, and a half-brother who is uh, one and a half years older than I am. I could say that my family's kind of an artist, has an artist background. Like my grandma was a painter, and my grandfather was a painter from my father's side, and in my from my mother's side, it's it's more trade, Yeah, I mean, it's in genetics, right? I do think that, I mean, I don't specifically come from a very artistic family, but there are definitely artists and opera singers in like my mom's side of the family. I do feel like there is a lineage when it comes to that. And there is like an element of creativity. Do you feel like creativity is something that was encouraged at home? Yes, totally. It was uh, all around me. Uh, My father is a furniture designer, industrial designer, and my mom is managing my dad's company. So... She has a. Uh, she believed in his talent, and then uh, also did like the business part, the trade part, like yeah. How... And so he started his own business. So I guess the whole entrepreneurial and also like dedication and and discipline is something that you grew up around. Yeah, being independent and very assertive. I think I got that from my mom. Yeah. <laughs> and where where in Holland did you grow up? In The Hague. I moved to Amsterdam in my second year of film school. I was thinking the other day that I would love to meet more underground artists that are incorporating other forms of arts more and like the avant-garde of now. I um, would like to feel more like a voice and energy of the present time and of change and not the... um, actual filmmakers now that are so established already in the city that have found their ways and are still in this kind of conservative routing of funding and of um yeah getting their films and projects financed and going to these just very uh well appreciated and acknowledged festivals like mm-hmm. i think there also will be a shift in these festivals at the festivals instead of just being posh celebrations now will also be more cool meeting places for international um, talents and mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to be on to find those festivals uh, with my new film and, mm-hmm. and those peoples and share new ideas yeah uh, or ideas than um, what I'm finding right now I'm, I'm up for a new challenge, up for a new <laughs> challenge. <laughs> I mean we're in the time right now in the world where you know COVID-19 and just all the systems that are in place are being uprooted. So I think it's definitely the time to to take on new challenges. Do you think you know where your love for visual storytelling came from? And like, I always think about this, like, why am I interested in video and film and seeing things represented on a screen? Do you do you know where that comes from for you? Um, it's definitely because I'm wired that way. Uh, nature and nurture, not sure. <laughs> I think my my brain is not that developed yet in storytelling. It's uh, still a craft I'm trying to comprehend. But for now, and if I analyze my own work, um, 
then I, I really dive into atmospheres and to um, like getting a vibe of something mm-hmm. and um, connecting to some sort of essence. That's why I like documentary because it already gives me an input and I can analyze the input really well um, and, and find a sound to emphasize that essence what I'm finding and to use editing to um, accentuate that essence and all those elements and then in the end it could be just this really strong experience of a particular thing in reality mm-hmm. or my reality that and it's interesting because it's like an intuition thing too right it's something that it's a form an art form but it's yeah it's a very physical I mean it's everywhere now visual storytelling like you open your phone there's all these different um, mediums that people are expressing themselves but still the same layers I have the mm-hmm. idea that uh, no matter if you use um, an image plus a little caption plus uh, a text balloon it, it's still like the same it, even though now we have Instagram I think comic books or a little um drawings in a newspaper still had the same layers mm-hmm. layers of, of uh, and there was also an author mm-hmm. I think the author now is also more important than it was before but because um, that can add that can add a layer of character throughout a series of, of um, drawings when I feel a, a storyteller or when I feel like oh this is is my vision it's actually when I'm slowing down life mm-hmm. um, and I take the time to observe and and be open then that's when i have the feeling i am seeing the unique things that make me me because i'm touched by beauty and um i would love to feel that as often as possible yeah yeah i mean we live in such a fast-paced society that the chance to slow down and to take a minute and to look up like that's also one thing i think living in new york that i think about all the time is when i'm walking somewhere and then i look up and like oh yeah there are these huge buildings and then there is some kind of like creativity influx that comes from taking a breath it's calming down your nervous system and and like you said opening yeah when you change perspectives Mm -hmm. so that looking up could even change your perspective on you being completely absorbed by yourself in your mind to like oh whoa actually i'm part of something bigger part of a system yeah then then you're already creating a little narrative or Mm -hmm. you're adding something extra onto it yeah when did the transition happen for you from a thing that i enjoy doing to a thing i i want to do that you know there might be less enjoyable moments while i'm doing it but overall it's something that that is fulfilling and i want to spend time on i just feel like a an artist doing the things i want to do Mm. and not um having a career yet because it, it doesn't feel like there's a master plan behind it just making every every new film the best Mm, I think it definitely happens when you feel there's a gap somewhere in society or in, in knowledge, in understanding, and you want to uh, have a, I want to have a role of, of connecting. Um, so if there's this big uh, confusion about something, then I'll be the one slowing down and sitting with this person or mm-hmm. at this topic and try to investigate what what is so weird about it and um if i have a closer look at it what uh function can my film have and if i follow this curiosity and this uh confusion then i learn a lot Mm -hmm. um and it happened when i was 
16 and doing my first documentary on tra transvestitism. So it's not the drag queen, but it's just the phenomena and the desire of manifesting yourself as a woman. I'm, and then talking from a, like a, uh, a guy point of view, dressing up as a woman and then noticing that it was um, prohibited in the Bible and and not understanding the real value of separating the dressing code of, of uh, femininity and masculinity and then in gender and I was already fascinated by this when I was 16 and I went to like this uh, uh, forum mm -hmm. and uh, talks chatted to these these men and asked if I could interview them and, and there was just so much I got to know and I wanted to share with other people that that became my first documentary. Why documentary do you think for you? Because I, I, I know that now talking to you like curiosity is then slowing down. Those are key elements to who you are as an artist and as a person. But why documentary filmmaking as opposed to narrative? Mm, it is it is a very complex uh, art form mm -hmm. or a, um, because you're dealing with ethics more and um, intention can be so uh, off with reality or um, your agenda, for instance, like wanting to capture certain things, but then it not happen happening. So it's one of the most challenging things because you constantly have to accept whatever is coming. And I think, yeah, adapt your storyline that you have created in your mind and um see what is really there so it's it's challenging me to reflect on um my like inner compass <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's interesting it's very confronting work in that sense yeah yeah it's also not fair sometimes i feel like oh we should have the same amount of budget as a fiction film as a documentary filmmaker not because i want this high production value but if this person is giving me um her time because of liking and and I mean if you look at documentaries they're more often about people with problems and with little money than people with money so giving them a voice and they're them they giving us our time isn't it possible especially in the Netherlands to also mm -hmm. just pay your characters yeah um, and then even keep it ethical yeah um, because I think the payment doesn't mean Hey, I am asking you to do this and this, and uh, in in exchange for doing what I want you to do, I'm giving you a payment. Right. So because then all of a sudden people can think, oh, maybe it's an actor mm -hmm. because you pay. But that I don't think that has to be the case. I want to talk a little bit about the poetics of a visual medium because I know that we talk a lot about this. Um, finding the balance because I your work is very poetical your films aren't um, very talking head documentary it's actually quite sparse language from the the movies that I have seen what to you is important when it comes to finding the the melody in a, in a movie and especially in a documentary it happens in a really early stage of filmmaking um, it's actually when the subject touches me I I just feel um, a connection with it in my heart without language. Like, wow, this is amazing. This is beautiful. And I'm so excited. That is a moment I want to share with other people. Um, it could be a moment you want to grab your phone and take a photograph. Or it, um, 
but I mean, I had a really crappy phone and it could never take pictures. So the ideas always stuck in my mind Mm -hmm. and they grew and I became a bit nostalgic about the feeling and the experience and um, I try writing it down, um, adding layers or editing it and um, with Tarikata I also brought my crew Mm -hmm. and other people of um, the film industry like you should come and see this you should there's something here and this vibe and Mm -hmm. how can we capture it Um, there was no narrative and the idea sucked on paper it's like oh we're gonna film a a ritual like oh this is just filming a ritual Like we're right. not gonna play well, a role, I think this is I think this is what you're bringing up right now is so interesting because how do you express an idea for a film, right? Like sometimes it's very straightforward. You can write it out. There's you know you write your treatments, you do all of that, you pitch it. But sometimes it's also like putting into words what you are feeling because movie is yes it's visual but it's it's an experience. It's a, a, a whole body experience. So it is a very interesting challenge when you have this idea and then you have to express it in order to get approval mm-hmm. by society standards, getting money um, to make it happen. It's a very interesting uh, balance that you have to find as an artist. Like, I want to make this work, but I also need the money and I need the support. Yeah, right. And it kind that of is... sucks, right? <laughs> yeah. When you uh, have dyslexia and you cannot write properly because all your sentences are are fucked up and you're raised uh, Dutch and American. So I use like English sentence structures for writing Dutch. So that it's really confusing and mixed up. Mm -hmm. But when I talk, I talk obviously different. I've tried recording whatever I'm saying in conversations, all these editing, but there's something that when I have a pen or have my fingers hoovering about the keyboard, that there's this error. And I feel a very big separation between the idea world and the writing on paper do you have any tips for for people who struggle with the same or what has helped you in that translation use everything i i now i've started drawing again uh drawing shots uh, finding images uh, especially other film fragments if you can make a short edit of um combining all the films you and elements that you think are nice music pieces work a lot for me um so i listen to uh, very experimental and cinematic contemporary music all those elements can kind of help like hey this is the the feeling of the image even you can use uh, three completely different types of music and then describe each layer say this is uh, the soundscape and maybe more of the narrative of the film the flow mm-hmm. and then you can use another piece of music which is opposite and say for the same film this is uh, more the visual language of right, the film right right I'm actually very grateful that funds now are uh, accepting and also if I write emails and some of my films are known that producers are inviting me over for, to drink a cup of coffee so I can I can talk about my ideas and be like yeah. talking with my hands and with my <laughs> body and shaking and smiling and sparkling when I'm talking about my ideas instead of writing it on paper. And now you also can do all these video pitches, uh, yeah, video pitches for crowdfunding, but also video pitches for, for funding just to have put on your webcam. From my childhood, I'm quite com- comfortable with the webcam. Okay, let's get into Tarikat because I'm a huge fan of this short dog. And let's just start at the beginning. Why did you decide to make Tarikat? Hmm... I've answered this question 
Probably a bajillion times. A couple of times. And still now I'm trying to connect to um, that moment instead of reproducing the answer. Mm-hmm. Tell us for the listeners, because they haven't seen it yet, because yeah. it is still being shown at festivals and it is this week even. Oh, this week even, <laughs> yeah, and it's four years old. Oh, that's amazing. Um, tell us a bit about what Tariqat is about before we get into this. All right. Um, so it's an Islamic uh, group, uh, the the mystical part of the Islam of the Islam, and they practice um, all these rituals to remember Allah and to remember. Uh, beauty and love in this mortal life and um, they use trance uh, singing and dancing to feel enlightened and to lose their ego and I stumbled upon these kind of ceremonies um, and expressions because I was doing research on how dance can be used otherwise than on a stage in a in like this um after renaissance uh, neo-renaissance style mm-hmm. or or you could say greek so is there a um a functional way of dancing instead of using dance as a language for storytelling does dance have a, have a um a meaning and yes i mean i i did not understand well yet that dance was so important to ground i had no clue because i uh, didn't come from a sports family so actually the body was not that important in my childhood it was more just oh you can use it to paint uh, the model mm-hmm. you know it's it's a figure and um and it's beauty and it's aesthetic and it, it and it wasn't this this uh, i didn't have the associations with this earthbound thing you know mm-hmm. not the spirit but the body i wanted to make a film about dance and spirit and dance and and body and that's how i found them yeah mm-hmm. that's how i i try to uh, translate and i made actually a dance film of something which is spiritual so yeah i did add this layer of how we use dance now in a society as a as a storytelling way i i, I actually use that element again mm-hmm. on something which is uh, of a ceremonial and symbolic meaning. It's a very spiritual film on many levels. I mean, obviously it's a spiritual or a religious ritual, but it's also, I found it very, for me, I'm I'm not necessarily religious. I, I would identify as spiritual, very spiritual experience to, to wa- obviously to watch these people go through this, but also the film itself is very... Um, there's a lot of rhythm and a lot of breath and you yourself are actually pulled into that movement. Um, but it is a very closed off community. Actually, it's very, it's a very private experience. How was that for you entering a community like that? And how do you build that trust with the people to pull out a camera at actually what feels like a very intimate moment for, for that person? I spent so much time with them and um, I tried to get some clear ideas of if it was going anywhere, uh, talking with like the head leader of the group, the spiritual leader, and um, he did not want to do- make any promises, um, which was very challenging for me because I was like, ah, I'm graduating and this is feels like something I want to graduate with and can I please 
Capture, yeah, so just people, you this is your graduation film yes. from the Film Academy. Yeah. And uh, the Film Academy here in the Netherlands. They just told me like, oh, you, you can film when you're ready. And I was like, how do I know when I'm ready? And, and they're like, oh, we'll know when you're ready. I was just reading books and trying to get ready. <laughs> Doing all these things like, okay, I, I, guys, I really understand you. And I'm not going to abuse you. And I want to... Um, uh, show the the love and the beauty and all these things with ISIS were also happening that time mm-hmm. and I've understood that whatever they're doing is not accepted by them so they could be terrorized also as a, a misinterpreted interpreting the the Quran mm. so all these opinions of course about religion and how mm. it's being practiced I also told them that my interpretation will not be their interpretation yeah. it will be a, a another translation but i i try to um use my own incredibly speed up process of of getting to know them and whoa this is a complete new world using all those elements and feelings for making this film mm-hmm. and talk a little bit about the timeline of this film so when did you run into this group and how long did it take for you to start filming and how long did the filming actually end up taking? Yeah, so they come together every weekend and I was there every weekend, every Saturday night um, doing this ritual with them. So I was not partying as a student in my graduation year. I was really dedicated um, learning about Sufism with them. It was after a half a year that they said, okay, it's a full yes. Wow. Um, and then the full yes was was it was so much risk taking because I, I said like ah it's gonna be this or no graduation for me at all. I really wanted to do something with with the Sufis, yeah. and the dervishes. Everything in post production and filming happened really really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, we shot the ceremony two times, three times, like two and a half. Used all the footage together and built one ceremony out of it. Um, also, everything's built up as it is, as if it's almost one song, but there's a lot of breaks in between. Uh-huh. They even have some cups of tea in between the, really? the music. Wow. Yeah, so it's a 17-minute film, but I use the a build-up structure as strong as possible and I cut it down to 17 minutes instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's three-hour uh, during thing, and also with a dinner. So every Saturday, I spent like four hours with them. And was it just you or who, because did you hold, did you film on the, or was there anyone else with you that was uh, handling camera? Yeah, I had a camera woman mm-hmm. that came on very late in the stage because I didn't want to uh, force this, this filmmaking onto them. I just wanted to see what would happen. And later when they were more open for us, I was like, hey, can I bring my camera woman? I would love her to just experience this and we, we collaborate, we work together, we've made films together. And I would want to hear her experience of this and how she would translate this into camera movements. And then afterwards, after she experienced it, um, we went into studio together and she rented a camera and I did all the movements on my knees, on uh, s- sitting and standing. And then she was filming them in different ways and different angles and different lenses to see what would uh, feel close and connected. So sometimes we used opposite camera movements from 
the body and sometimes we moved with with the like back and forwards we moved with the body and that we also used in in creating uh, more speed and rhythm so it separated male female as well right in the in the ritual but did you did you and your camera woman go into the male space yes yeah we were allowed and actually the women are also allowed to just for the ceremony um they are have an opinion that it will be more distracting if you mix male energy and female energy and it's slightly different so Mm -hmm. um they say when people become fragile or lose their ego they have like a different essence of energy in a way and it's better to it's like stronger for a women group to be with other women Mm -hmm. and then looking at it from that point of view i'm like oh i can feel that yeah i mean i know that parties with a girl uh, girls girls only it's different than men so. definitely no it's definitely not, not at all a negative thing i yeah. think it is like collective energies matter and for me it was a big thing that i wanted the women to be comfortable comfortable with filming mm-hmm. because the women would be my focus um because i saw a lot of emotional things in their faces i could read their faces really well and as a yeah visual medium i was looking for expression that could add layers and I thought that face was just such a mystery and those eyes and the tears coming down like what are those tears Mm -hmm. from are they are they sadness or joy or um really peacefulness and gratefulness and you could it's all it felt like all of it um so in the in the film uh, we're going to describe it a little bit they go through this ritual to let go of their ego and come closer and remember Allah um, and there's a lot of emotion that comes out, whether it's, it's also a lot of breathing and, and yeah, tears start flowing and it, it feels both happy and sad and everything in between. It's very, yeah. I mean, like I said, it's very intimate. Also did some interviews with Daria and it was, a uh, just for the listeners who's, who's she's there. the, she's one of like the main characters, the main face that we're following. And she brings her children also to the ceremony and she's one of the, leading women in the group she's a very strong woman and i could also tell that her energy was always quite high like she was never um how do you call that like chilling Mm -hmm. there she always was like fully um you could say competitive or in a way or or very uh excited about going to the to the nights so i um i liked her strength and um, if her le- her letting go was she yeah, she was just like a power woman in this in this place, and um, I did interviews with her and I also experimented with giving away personal information about what she does in daily life during the ceremony, but that just totally did not work. Yeah, it, you just wanted to stay in that room and with that experience and not uh, be somewhere else with your mind. Like mm-hmm. I wanted to create. Um, to uh, emphasize a physical experience um, also for the audience and not uh, um, make it a bit more airy or intellectual by saying that she's a school teacher and doesn't wear a headscarf in daily life because mm-hmm. she because it's in the Netherlands and you're like what this ceremony is in the Netherlands like I didn't want to add all these layers yeah so yes a lot of people when they see the film they're very surprised to hear that um, that this is a, a group of Turkish people in the Netherlands. That's one thing I wanted to say about the camera woman, um, because the men have a very uh, overpowering ceremony, like they do more stamping mm-hmm. um, to 
and and the women's part is more delicate it's more soft working with a, 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 a like a female camera woman which is not a like big big built and i don't know masculine it it helped us be invisible at the men's part and to be uh, humble with the women yeah. I'll make decisions based on the characters and situation. Mm-hmm. I want to, before we move on to talk about Death of Darkness, I do want to talk a bit about um, the the way that you've built Darigot, about the movement and the sound, um, because it very much functions beautifully alongside each other because the sound is informing the movement, but is the, or is the movement informing the sound? It's It's very fluently put together one thing i noticed a lot was moving along the vertical or the horizontal and uh, with the feet and which way they're moving or the swaying or the um i guess bouncing or heaving um so it's kind of an ineffable thing you can't really it's like intangible uh to understand what is informing what so you explained a little bit earlier that you guys tested out some shots on on you um, but how did you build that from the ritual in the film? It starts by documenting it. When are they standing up? And what happens when they stand up? Um, after they stand, they're able to move because from sitting, you, you cannot move around in the space. And what implies moving around in space? Does that create more uh, cohesion in the group? Because everyone's moving, and it becomes like this one big uh, uh, soup or uh, flux. And um all the little symbolic things i and, and details i i um, paid attention to and the emotions so i would say that i would i would feel strongly two waves of energy like one small one and then it would be like this oh guys we're doing this again yum 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 you know after this first excitement you get this little taste just like having an appetizer there's this there's this calmness and excitement or silence before the storm um, I used that so I used kind of like two act in the ceremony and then an introduction um, like why are we in the ceremony why are we in the space what does it mean to this main character I use that as a, a little uh, preface the little preface is a, an underwater sequence and water plays a big role in, in the symbolic uh, poetry of, of Sufism and uh, all the great poets and enlightened uh, men like Jaladin Rumi, they use the metaphor of water a lot. And I could also see that in not only in the sweat dripping um, from their from their faces and or their tears, but also in um, in the movement of the group and kind of losing your ego that that you also become part of the ocean and mm-hmm. not just individual drop I thought I need to give the audience some context and if I do it in a poetic way then becoming in this in this space is already more accepted it Mm -hmm. feels like open instead of uh, claustrophobic and then finding music also classical music so I wanted um, the composer to make music to emphasize the emotional journey of the character yeah, yeah, because I was gonna bring that up in with the language because the language is quite sparse, but it, and then with the breath and the stamping and the actual movement and the sound of socks or soft shoes and um on on carpet, plus the sound score is built into that as well, so it feels very 
it really flows so well in each other that sometimes you you're you don't even realize that you're just listening to breath and then it, there's music and you're like oh i'm i'm listening to some kind of sound score right now and that all felt very connected mm-hmm. the composer was iranian and he knows a lot about sufism and he really appreciates all the music so when asking a composer and this whole ceremony is already full of music most composers i think would feel really threatened by how how in god's name do i have to create can i add another layer onto this film mm. and uh, what is my role we quickly discovered or he quickly discovered that it should not try to compete with with their music like i don't want to go into finding the same instruments and um, working with rhythm like the the music layer should be also very intangible um, moving around the space just like the the language and the text is kind of a glue it seems to be uh, and this is just uh, uh, from me watching it um reacting to what we're seeing not the other way around yeah it, it so just it sometimes gives of, you a little bit of something there's a little extra like she says something there's silence and that's when you get the i mean if you speak turkish you will understand earlier but that's when you and then a little bit later you get the the caption or the um the subtitle and so you're experiencing it and then you get an exp- an explanation the glue to the next part yeah, yeah because silence was such a big um topic also for enlightenment and silence and inner silence or peace uh, to have this very noisy ceremony and have silence as a topic was uh you you need language and words and voiceover and music in order to create that contrast mm-hmm shifting not giving all those layers at the same time but uh, placing them in different moments you can uh, play with the meaning yeah. of each and every single layer and when number uh, a connects with number three like there are like lines and mm-hmm. one big braid in a way what was important for me also was that my editor need an editor for this project that has a feeling for rhythm and mm-hmm. maybe have a background in music or playing an instrument because I think it will help the process. There are editors which are really good in storytelling and they can uh, save your film by just flopping images and changing the sequence and, and creating a whole different suspense than, than having the talking head. But I wanted a, a very uh, musical editor yeah. and I, I loved them. I think I think you nailed it. Yeah, I think the editor nailed it. Um, I think about three quarters way through the film, there's silence, but there's still all of this movement that you've kind of, you're in this ecstasy, and then you meet that inner peace that they're striving for by just yeah, being with them. Yeah, that's, them, um, that's also quiet. my favorite sequence in yeah. the film. I'm going to play because a little like, for for the listeners. We'll play a little bit of the sound um, so that they, they know what, what I'm talking about.
Mystery but, can't be expressed in words. But silence is something that that um, I wonder about its impact a lot of the time. And I think you experimented with it really well in, in Tarikot and also in Death of Darkness. Um, do you know where your fascination with that kind of comes into play? It, it gra- grabs your attention when something happens. It Like a little sound impacts your awareness. Having that in the beginning of a shot or in the end of the shot creates a different like hang up or a different um suspense for how you continue like is is the next sequence a relief or is it actually more tension and more narrative hard cuts or soft cuts like invisible cuts they create dynamic they in a way i i use these things to um i i use i think suspense and and flow more than like narrative and intellectual things. But even though my my concepts start from a very intellectual point of view and conceptual point of view, like, okay, I'm gonna mix dance film and documentary, or okay, I'm gonna make a film about, uh, it's a movie which is capturing light and the movie's gonna be about the disappearance of darkness. So it, it always starts in a um, conceptual way and then just, things happen I need to translate it I need to put it into words sometimes I have the feeling I lose mystery there mm. how do you see silence it's a good one in the tarikot then yeah for me it was a way it is a way um to get into the perspective of the people in the in the film and then in this case specifically I would say Daria it's also it's a combination of entering the film more deeply through the means that I'm realizing that I'm watching a film. When there's another movie, uh, Babel, by uh, Alejandro Inaritu, and um, he has it too, where there's a deaf character. She walks into a club and you hear the music and then you the music cuts off because you're experiencing the club through her eyes. And it's this weird moment where you feel more connected with the film um, because it's you're being highlighted. And you also don't have sound, so your whole body has a whole like you kind of you schicked up, you you wake up uh, wake up out of this, mm-hmm. out of the experience that you were in before because there is also a huge build. I think it makes you aware of the form that you're watching, but through that more connected with it. So that to me is the power of silence. It's definitely enhancing the experience that you're having. Yeah, and I think. Um, working with experienced sound designers Mm -hmm. uh, or the ones I like they are very much aware of uh, the importance of silence sometimes they're more like silence designers (laughs) than they are sound designers yeah because they question like why do you want why do you want a tram Uh, 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 or why do you want uh, the noise of the highway here why do you want the uh, to fill up the space with uh, chirping and bird sounds yeah um, and I think we have a tendency to fill up a lot of yeah. things and make everything might very because rich. we're running away because we're in a, in a world where there's a lot happening all the time. And when you're in silence, like meditation, mm-hmm. you want to move, you want to hear. It's kind of scary being in silence. Yeah, and how often we cannot hear our own breath or our yeah. own heartbeat. Because there's just so much noise there. Let's talk about a different kind of noise in our universe. Let's talk about light. 
So Death of Darkness is, we just watched it. It's not done yet, but real, real close. The What I mean with a different kind of noise is this new movie you made is about um, how the world is becoming more light, light uh, lighter. There's more electricity available. Uh, and in this film, you go to a village in Northern Kenya where they're officially installing electricity and they're getting light for the first time. And coming from a nomadic background, yeah. where um, being in a place doesn't make sense yet. Yeah. So having a, a home address or electricity bills, uh, this is all completely new to them. How did you get to this this story? How did you how did you find it? Going on a holiday, moving out of the city, connecting with nature and reappreciating actually the darkness. Um, I realized how much in my system it is when I come home to switch on the lights. Like it's the first thing I do. I drop my bag, switch on the lights. And um, when in nature and there's no uh, light switch, you improvise or you feel the lack, like, oh, where's where's my, my um, torch? And uh, I uh, made this little walk in nature and it was the end of season of the uh, fireflies, but I saw one firefly. And I, I, I never saw a firefly before in my life. So I was like, what what is this? What is, it? is this a firefly? I was, again, I was like so excited, but it made it made a very sad, light so the light was like mm. it was not moving up and down like in a dance it was stuck into a place so mm -hmm. and it was very far away but the whole environment was already dark but i went to it and i saw the firefly and it was stuck in a spider web and i intervened with nature because i wanted to save the firefly and i caught myself thinking like why am i if this firefly would not have a light i would not care for it mm -hmm. it would not mean so this automatically made me um, think about like the meaning of light and how attracted I am towards light and um, that there was all this dark space and all these animals that I was actually not paying attention to. I, I, I mean, I didn't kill the fire, <laughs> fire I just let, let it be after I saved it, see what would happen next. But this was a big, a big insight. Mm -hmm. And um, moving back to the city, I just was so shocked about all of a sudden seeing a full moon like I was not connected to the cycles of the moon and all of a sudden like whoa there she is <laughs> I have that all the time actually because I, I I do value the moon and I think it I mean if the moon moves oceans and we're made primarily of water it has to move us as well but when you're living in a city you don't see stars and I was biking the other day and it came up and it was a full moon it was like very orange it was super low it, it was truly shocking. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, I'm just, I am, I do feel when living in a city so disconnected from... To me, then, one of the first things, the most easy things in a way to connect to nature with in a city is listening to the rhythms of day and night. Mm -hmm. Like we are uh, diurnal animals and not nocturnal animals, beings. So living in the, in the rhythm of... Um, of day and night is already how our hormone structure is built and how we uh, spread our energy, our natural energy over the day. Um, I read some books and articles on on this and 
uh, I thought, wow, with the way that cities are moving, uh, living, it's really against this principle and against this nature within us. Mm-hmm. And um, that again made me feel like I, I felt something that other people do not connect with. Um, a sadness, a feeling of uh, being misunderstood and uh, worrying about where we are going with our planet and feeling that darkness is more important than we think and that um, light is like overvalued and uh, it has so much function that actually mm-hmm. we cannot uh, compare the function of darkness anymore. Like we choose light over darkness. Before like it would completely be forgotten what darkness is. I wanted to find the last darkness on the planet. Yeah. So I did research. Okay, what are dark uh, co- continents? What are dark countries? What are dark places? If there's dark places, is there still some something there? Instead of like being in the middle of the Sahara, mm-hmm. um, can I find some sort of civilization in darkness? And what what is the importance of fire? Or what kind of light do they have? Mm-hmm. Um, and then coming to fire. So that's how my research went. And I went, I, I even finding light and darkness, um, I... I, I went on the internet, mm-hmm. so... <laughs> Electricity, man. Yeah. <laughs> Plugged in. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because then, uh, I mean, it's all, all tied together. I was lucky to um, just have made decisions and, and go for it. Um, after I found a producer, he automatically also asked me, like, how are you going to translate all your epic ideas about light and darkness into a film and first of all I wanted to make an art film but still an art film about light and darkness using colors or (laughs) (laughs) making a screensaver kind of movie like that was also not what I was going for so then the NASA websites gave me some some cool information yeah Um, the books I was reading uh, I was highlighting tons of things and I went to uh, Kenya because it, it was an English colonized country. My English is better than my French. I wanted to go to Africa because it was like the continent of fire, mm-hmm. um, slash and burn culture. So fire is still being used a lot for cooking, um, for uh, controlling the nature here in Holland. We, we kind of don't use fire only for, for um, having a little campfire or barbecue in the Vondel Park, but we don't have the wilderness that needs to be tamed. No wildlife, no no lions to be scared away with. I was aware of, of all the ideas about, um, and uh, aware of everything that was happening in the world about this topic and about uh, the colonization. And I wanted to also reflect on, on my role as a filmmaker in this country. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, for who this story was meant. So I, I talked with also the ambassador of Kenya and um, about with the Rural Electrification Authority, which is actually the Ministry of Electricity in Kenya. They did not understand why I wanted to film a village getting electricity. They just thought it needs to happen. And it's a nice thing you want to document it because we are proud of electrifying villages. I actually did not already share that vision of I'm happy for them to get light because I want to know what is there before. In Kenya and um, 
yeah, working with people from a tribe that doesn't that don't speak, they even don't speak uh, Swahili, mm -hmm. so like the the national language. They just speak their local language, and they've never encountered a filmmaker before, and just just this really big cultural uh, time difference mm -hmm. and space difference, and then then it was more difficult to. Uh, collaborate with this language barrier because even though I tried with all my heart to just show I had a right intention without words just spending time with them and not taking my camera out at the first time but just really um, spending time and uh, laughing um, learning doing all these simple things as eating together and um, cooking together and being a grateful tourist then you get it, getting your camera out it requires another you need you need people on board i i did it it became so much easier working with a translator and a mediator that could um that was on my side that has trust of the community um that also doesn't have a hierarchy within a community so i worked with someone from the community in the first time i went there in a desert and I did not like what happened because um, when I asked the translator to ask a question actually a lot of times the, the uh, question was already answered the question was already answered by the translator because he knew he didn't function as a mediator um, and um, when I worked with a translator from another city knowing or another village knowing the same local language he was way more neutral mm -hmm. um, and that helped also to like negotiate or um, come to an understanding because yeah there was just no no um, belange mm -hmm. yeah like um, attachments or yes yeah. Yeah. yeah so now I'm also busy with food mm -hmm. a lot and my movie is about connecting with nature and um, trying to make the darkness tangible uh, the, the tribe has all these ceremonies with the moon mm -hmm. so i'm thinking about um uh, planning a uh, premiere and um giving all sorts of little bites and snacks mm -hmm. uh serving it after the film when so people can also chat about darkness and light and their experiences with it or their um, being deprived from it in the city with things that I will do some research on, I'm doing research on right now, like which herbs and plants and flowers are influenced by the moon, uh -huh. as you said already. Cool. And I can say like, hey, this flowers or this nectar um, is, is like highest and most open or most fertile. Mm -hmm. um, these seeds, you know, the biggest uh, um, har harvester or the biggest uh, producer of, yeah. the, of weed, Dutch weed, mm -hmm. does... Um, um, harvest with the rhythms of the moon like a really? lot of tourists don't know like that I didn't even know yeah, yeah. <laughs> that the moon plays a big role for like Dutch weed for getting high wow not that I want to uh, give uh, joints but <laughs> there um, there must be several other things that are just edible that are a s s have a special kind of like magical vibe to it yeah and uh I, I would like to create like a shamanistic <laughs> premiere with uh, moon uh, harvested bites yeah. and, and make people realize like, wow, this is totally what we don't know this anymore. Like we lost mm -hmm. this knowledge mm -hmm. um, 
we just have uh, our tomatoes in uh, greenhouses and uh, yeah. all the, the watering systems and the light systems is all organized by technology. Like it's, it's not uh, yeah. holistic. Yeah. And to me, film has um, the power of experience, yeah. like a secondhand experience. And um, uh, there's too much knowledge already competing with film mm-hmm. as a narrative. So m- my attention or I don't use film as transferring this information. Um, I'd rather help people connect or give them mm-hmm. an experience. Before we end, we're going to do a little rapid fire. Texting or talking? Talking. Sunrise or sunset? Sunrise. All black or color? Color. Instagram or Facebook? Hmm. <laughs> or neither. <laughs> Maybe TikTok, but I, I, TikTok. I, I haven't tried that yet. <laughs> I know, I've, I've heard that. No. Rapid fire. Rapid fire. Moving on. Um, thriller or comedy? Thriller. Uh, if there's one film that you think the world needs to see, apart from your own, of course, what film would you say? Mm. Yeah, what comes up is Koyanskatsky. Mm? That's a good one. Uh, Terrorized into being consumers, surplus. I'll, I'll, make, I'll link it in the show notes. What's the most recent book that you've read? Um, I'm reading No Logo of Naomi Klein. Mm. Do you like it? Yes, I can recommend mm. okay. also. recommend. We'll link below as well. And a piece of music that you recommend people to listen to. Mm, maybe Catherine Aradia Smith. Yes, something of her. Thank you so much for coming on In Her Lens. I'm so appreciative. Thank you for all your thoughts on documentary and poetical creation and, and connecting. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I am so enjoying creating this season. To support the podcast, you can hit that subscribe button and leave a quick review. You can follow Jasmijn on Instagram at Schover, and her work plus the works we talked about are all linked in the show notes. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode and until then you can stay tuned on all updates on the podcast Instagram at InHerLensPodcast. Please stay safe and healthy and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.